Outside the Box. Hello and welcome to Outside the Box. It is July. Hello, people of July. Jen Offord. Hello. And Mickey Nonan. Jen, you seemed surprised that you had to say hello. I was surprised because she always asks you first and you always say something wacky. Uh, or sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. It's You switch it up sometimes. I'd like to keep you on your toes, Jen. Well, Hannah's kept me on my toes because now I'll never know who's going to be asked to say hello first. Oh Maybe this is her way of making sure I don't say anything wacky by coming to you first. Now's your opportunity, Mickey Noonan. I've got nothing. I'm sorry. Oh. I've got nothing. No wacky path. Although that was quite weird. <laughs> sorry. First up, the news section. I don't really have anything. The writer's strike is ongoing. And maybe in a practice of preparing me for the writer's strike, Disney moved itself to the top of the list of things I'm going to cancel when I next cancel oh, stuff. Oh, okay. Because outside of if I want to watch the next series of The Bear mm. and I want to watch the next series of Only Murders in the Building, there's just nothing on it. There's literally nothing new cropped up on it for absolutely ages. So for my new section, I'm just going to use it as an opportunity to plug two things and maybe we can talk about them both briefly. They're both chops. They're both in the last month. The first one, Deadlock, which is on Amazon. I interviewed the Cates, McLennan and McCartney. Still can't get over how great that name is. It's so good. Why in the credits do they call themselves McCartney and and McLennan, though? I don't know. Maybe they're trying to get away from McLennan and McCartney. They cannot. They're not allowed to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I chatted with them about it in a non-spoilery way. It still hasn't finished, so I still can't bring up the really interesting point that they make at the end, which I absolutely loved, but that will happen on Friday. Mickey, you have started watching it. I've watched all of the episodes that are available, which is seven. And yeah, the last one streams on Friday and I'm very excited, particularly because I thought they were all up. And so I got to the end of episode seven and was like, what the fuck? You can't leave it like this. This is an insane cliffhanger when we don't know if they've got a second season, which they should get, by the way. It's excellent. I just want to say, by the way, listeners, that Hannah's interview with them, even if you've got telly coming out of your ears and you don't want to watch any more telly, that interview is fucking hilarious. It's brilliant. It's such a joyous listen. So do have a listen. And yeah, Deadlock really backs that up. The writing is exquisite in some parts. What I would say is Hannah warned me and a couple of other pals that At the start of Deadlock, and I say this is for the first two, maybe three episodes, one of the characters is so annoying, I wanted to punch my television. And it is a shame if it hadn't been for Hannah going, but it's so good. And other bits of it being absolutely brilliant. I might not have persevered, but please, please do. Because she gets to be actually, she's now one of my favourite characters and she gets to be Mm. very funny indeed. It's an interesting choice to start her off quite the way they do. I understand where they're coming from, but it's it's a little bit too extreme. But what a wicked, feminist, funny, interesting, smart show. I am loving it. It's so good. The performances across the board are brilliant. There's a man whose nickname is Ray Pies, and he makes me laugh every time <laughs> he gets a mention. Just everyone in it is great. And it's it's a detective story, and it's so different to anything else I've seen as a detective story it's it's brilliant i'm loving it thanks for the recommend hannah please feel this is a seconded listeners that you should definitely give it a watch i concur i have seen all of it it's got a really broad bench it's got 
even little side characters feel like mm. I know their names, like Sven, who is <laughs> a copper who doesn't really want to be a copper. He's basically announced that he made a bad life decision when he broke up with someone and decided <laughs> to become a policeman and hates it. And he's very, very funny. When he interrupts that press conference to talk about gender and pronouns, pronouns it's, yeah. it's absolutely hilarious. Um, yeah. Okay, on that note, second interview I did, which was this week's Chops, was with Bridget Christie about the change. I think it's really funny, and again, it's very feminist and very smart, and it's just something I haven't seen recently, and it's got some genuinely really great performances in it. I bloody love Monica Dolan, and she's terrific in it. I bloody love Jim Howick, and he is terrific in it. And I love Tanya Moody, and she is also great in it. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of people that are in that. You might even mention Pigman Jerome Flynn, who is also excellent. <laughs> it's got way more eels than I was expecting, is, <laughs> is my, my thinking so far. But it's it's Bridget Christie, isn't it? It's very thoughtful, as well as funny. It's smart and nuanced and joyous, as well as making quite fierce feminist points. I'd say my only slightly duff note is Ahmed Jalili isn't quite selling it to me. I think he could have been better but I'm very much nitpicking I'm only three episodes in and it's great it's really lovely conceit and if you've seen Bridget's most recent tour show Who Am I? that is also about the perimenopause the menopause and how she's dealing with it because she is in her 50s she's 50 and yeah the Tupperware story which is what kicks off Linda's desire to she's going to leave and she's going to leave her family for a bit and take some time back from all of the domestic chores she has been logging for 20 odd years in ledgers, minute by minute, second by second, and sort of rediscover herself. Yeah, it's it's a follow on from that, but it's really lovely and it's really well done. It, it gives me kind of detectorist vibes. It's sort of gentle yeah. and there's whimsy in there as well as making your belly laugh, which, you know, is an excellent combo. It's very smart and very silly. At the same time. And yeah. also, it's set in the Forest of Dean, which is fucking gorgeous. So, yeah, that's really nice. Okay, great. So, listen to those podcasts. Mickey, have you watched Yellow Jackets yet? I haven't had time, Hannah. Sorry, because it turns out Paramount Plus only giving you free for a week. So, we need a solid week of telly watching. Right. Just haven't had that yet. Sorry. Fair play. Question Has anybody watched The Idol? No, but I've no, read but about I want it. to because it sounds <laughs> fucking awful. It kind of passed me by. It's been on now. I just immediately looked at it and thought, that's not my bag. I'm not going to watch it. But increasingly, I, I kind of feel like I want to because, for example, The Guardian called it HBO's worst series ever, mm. which is saying quite a lot because they do have a lot of hits, but they have had a lot of misses. We just don't remember the misses because they disappear really quickly after a series. And they have cancelled way, way, way better things than this. All I know is it stars Johnny Depp's daughter and The Weeknd, both of whom have proper names, but I don't know what they are. Lily Rose Depp, let's at least credit her that, because she has spent a lot of time getting a kit off for this series, Hannah. So, you know, tip of the hat and then put the hat over her body parts. (laughs) I can't remember the reviewer's name, so I'm sorry for that Guardian reviewer, but I read a review of it yesterday that said that The Weeknd's performance is so bad that it should be committed to The Hague. Yeah, Yeah, that was the same review that called it the worst thing that HBO had ever... Yeah, unless I have a really terrible week and I might just watch it for a laugh. Yeah. 
Okay, well then maybe we should start with Black Mirror. Mickey, have you seen Black Mirror? I haven't seen any Black Mirror yet, sorry. I got into Deadlock and I am a bugger for only watching one thing at a time, so yeah. I've sort of nailed that when I've had TV time. Fair enough. Well, as you know, I don't have Netflix, so I've been to somebody else's house to watch it. Five episodes in season six. Joan is Awful, which stars your woman from Schitt's Creek. The daughter. I don't know her name. Locke Henry, which stars Monica Dolan. Beyond the Sea, which is... Aaron Paul and I mean I just literally talked with Bridget Christie about how I can't keep names in my head so I'm just going to go with this yes let's not hide the symptoms let's embrace (laughs) the symptoms I liked when you forget a word and she goes what does it look like (laughs) plastic surgery man Josh Hartnett Josh Hartnett. Plastic surgery, man. What does it look like? that could be like a lot of people, couldn't it, to be fair? Mr. Hollywood. (laughs) Maisie Day, which is a very short and a very un-Black Mirror episode. And then Demon 79, which stars the epic Papa Essiedu. And is written by Bisha, Bisha Ali. Mm. Yes, I saw that. That's exciting. So, my general failings on Black Mirror have been that since they went to Netflix and became bigger, bigger budget, I don't like them so much. They were very British in Black Mirror when they started. And I think they lost a bit of that when they went to America. I've never been a fan of all the episodes. There are certain episodes that I really like. And there are certain episodes that don't really do it for me. The interesting thing about this is there's more that don't, not necessarily don't do it for me. But let's start with Bish's episode, Demon 79. Which is great, but it's not an episode of Black Mirror. It's an episode of Inside Number 9. In tone. And I would say exactly the same. Maisie Day is a work of horror. And Beyond the Sea is set in the past. So it's set in an alternative past. So let's just say none of them are speculative fiction. And that's what I like about Black Mirror. That the episodes are about a thing that we do as a society. Or a technology that we're embracing. And saying... What happens if we go too far? That is sadly lacking from a lot of these. Joan is awful. Great. It's about a woman who finds out that her life is being made into a Netflix series. It has a phenomenal amount of famous people. It has Salma Hayek. It has Michael Sarah. All sorts of famous oh, people wow. in it. I liked it. It was fun. It's a fun episode. Lock Henry is the best sort of Black Mirror episode because it's a Black Mirror episode that I don't like until I find out what it's about. And then I completely rethink my views on it and think it's probably one of the better ones. That's a critique of true crime documentaries, which sits quite awkwardly on Netflix, I will say. (laughs) But is very, very good. And Monica Dolan is fucking epic in it. And yeah, Beyond the Sea, I don't know, it's set in space, but it's set in space in the past. It's got Aaron Paul, who I do like, and uh, I find the plastic surgery man's face quite distracting, <laughs> really, I, I have to say. But what I will say is, Beyond the Sea doesn't appear to be about anything. I felt like, what have we learned at the end of this? Nothing. Like, literally nothing. It was okay, but it didn't feel like Black Mirror to me, for a lot of it. Interesting. He took a break from Black Mirror, didn't he? Because the world was so dystopian, he felt like he didn't know how to add to it or didn't want to add to it at the moment, even as entertainment. And I'm I'm puzzled why he thinks it's not dystopian anymore because it's still pretty scary when we look out of our windows, eh? Yeah. Okay, well, that's on Netflix. 
if you pay for it or go to somebody else's house to watch it. Let me go to White House Plumbers, which I was talking about in the last episode. Mini-series, five parts, on Sky. It's about G. Gordon Liddy and Howard Hunt, who were in Richard Nixon's White House Plumbers. That's what they called themselves. Because we fix leaks. That's exactly it, because they fix leaks. So, yeah, spooky bunch of spooky people. Liddy, who is just intrinsically a comical character... Largely because he was like really into like Hitler and the Third Reich and stuff, and therefore was just just perceived as being mad. He's played by Justin Theroux. Hunt is played by Woody Harrelson. A massive amount of people in this, to be honest. Some of them hidden under quite a lot of heavy makeup. Uh, Donald Gleason is playing John Dean in this, and I didn't notice it was him until about episode four. Kathleen Turner's in this for a bit. She's great. Lena Headey, Judy Greer, loads of good people in it. I loved it. A lot of people I've spoken to hated it. Partly because they do not bother to explain what the fuck is going on because they think everybody (laughs) understands. Watergate. Now, I do understand Watergate, but I'm going to guess that a lot of people don't. So it might not be your bag. I love it because it Justin Theroux is fucking hilarious in it. He has such an expressive face. Every time he woke up and looked confused in The Leftovers, it was like chef's kiss. And it's that sort of wild-eyed nonsense that he does in this. And it is perfect. I loved it. But I will concede it's not going to be everybody's bag. So if you like a bit of history that you actually maybe have to stop and Google what the fuck's going on midway through it, I think you'll like it. Would it help if people watched All the President's Men before tucking into White House Plumbers? Yeah, maybe, because they talk about Hunt a lot in All the President's Men, don't they? Or you could just watch it and not understand what's going on and just enjoy the performances, which are, yeah, all pretty great, I would say. These two guys were just, they go on a secret spying mission and they take a camera with them. And then they just take loads of photographs of themselves sightseeing on the end of the reel. <laughs> so when it's picked up, they, they go, no, we didn't take those photographs. And they're like, but this is you dressed up having your photo taken because you've gone to Los Angeles. It, yeah, it's that kind of funny. Uh, it's funny. But I, I really liked it. Jen, tell me one of the things you've been watching. One of the things I've been watching is it's been out for a while, but I've only just got around to watching it which is shrinking on Apple Plus or Apple TV. Is it Apple TV? I think it's Apple TV. It is written by, it's basically brought to us by the same people that brought us Ted Lasso. So obviously it's my kind of thing. Or, well, the first two series of Ted Lasso. But anyway, we've talked about that already. Has it got Harrison Ford in it? It has got Harrison Ford in it. So it's got... Uh, is it Jason uh, God, Yes, Jason Segel. Okay, great. And Harrison Ford. I can remember other people's names. Names I don't need to say. <laughs> yeah, so it's got Jason Segel, Harrison Ford, Jessica Williams and Krista Miller. Krista Miller used to be in Scrubs. don't know if you remember that. The I think the exec producer or the showrunner of this is a guy called Bill Lawrence, who was heavily involved with Ted Lasso, scrubs all all sorts of i don't know to be honest but um the premise of it is jason segel is a recently bereaved man with a teenage daughter uh and he like his wife has died unexpectedly in a car crash he's a psychiatrist and he works with harrison ford who's like the the elder statesman of of the clinic that they work at basically and gabby he's played by jessica williams and um he has lost his shit in grief like he's completely like besides himself and he decides 
in the sort of throes of this life crisis that what he's going to do is he's going to tell his patients exactly what he thinks. He's going to tell them to do what like what he actually like in his heart of heart thinks that they should do. Hilarity ensues. I love it. It is very Ted Lasso like in a lot of ways. It's quite gentle, but it is also fucking hilarious. Harrison Ford is just fantastic in it. I love him. I'm sort of like a bit obsessed with him as this character because he's a very funny character. It's just great. Go and watch it. It's it's a lovely time. Sounds good. Yeah. Great. Jen, let's take a break so Mickey and I can cough. <laughs> developed something during the recording of this and drink some water and we'll be back. Welcome back. Okay, let's talk about a chunk of stuff that's on the beeb that all sort of leads together. Let's start with the gallows pole. Shane Meadows, three-part, his first historical drama, which is interesting for a number of reasons, not least because of the way Shane Meadows makes stuff in a kind of spontaneous fashion. You know, everybody's allowed to ad-lib. And how is that going to sit when people are supposed to be talking in ye olde English? It's not mm. ye olde. But let me tell you the story behind. Set in mixed former neck of the woods, the Calder Valley. It's about the Crag Vale coiners who, between them, perpetrated the, the biggest fraud in British history, which was basically clipping off the edges of gold coins, tiny bits of them, mixing that up, making more gold coins out of them. It's a clever idea. Yeah, actually destabilised the entire British economy. They were so effective at it because they put so much more money into circulation. There's a novel about this by a guy called Benjamin Myers. Same name, it's also called The Gallows Pole. This was supposed to be an adaptation of it, but actually it largely acts as a prequel to it. The action in this sort of stops when the book starts. It's about a man, played by Michael Soker, who comes back to his family after a long time and basically says, I've had this idea, we should do this. And it's around the time of industrialisation, so people are starting to lose their jobs, and everyone is exceptionally hard up in his little village. And he realises this is a way that he can help them, and then probably, to a larger extent, make a lot of money in the process. A lot of Shane Meadows' normal gang in this. Michael Soker, obviously... Thomas Turgus, a newcomer, Sophie McShearer, plays Grace, who goes on to marry Michael Soker's character in the future. Currently, at this point, Is she she's a newcomer? not his wife. Because she's in, um, isn't she in Downton Abbey? She's a newcomer to Shane Meadows, right, sorry. is what I okay. meant. Yeah. Also, Ralph Einson, also brilliant in absolutely everything that he does. Now, I've seen quite a lot of chat in reviews, and actually I've heard a bit of chat when I was talking to my friends about how parts of it they think just didn't work because everyone is just standing around spontaneously chatting and therefore it doesn't necessarily have the authentic ring of truth about the vocabulary. But what I would say is that in a way, the fact that that everyone's chatting in a really naturalistic fashion makes it in some ways seem more authentic, even though they're not necessarily using the language and the words that they would have used 150-odd years ago. Because that sometimes feels so stagey when it's delivered. And other 
people get away with it. Deadwood gets away with it. Deadwood gets away with a mix of, although that is absolutely in no way improvised, gets away with a, a mix of old and modern vernacular. And I think that it really, for me, it really, really works. Well, see also something like Chernobyl, which is obviously a very serious subject, but the fact that there were all these different accents like that were just regional accents from the actors who were acting rather than them all trying to do a Russian accent in inverted commas actually kept you more in it because you were distracted by, oh, he's not nailed that or she's not doing that well or whatever. You're just, you're just in it. Yeah. I thought it was really stylish and sometimes I wondered if it was... It? Yeah, I, sometimes I thought it was a, maybe a bit like style over substance. It was so stylish. Quite Terence Malick in parts. It's that whole, we exist, we coexist with nature. Yeah, yeah. The, the, and the, the stag men and, and like the opening credits are like a music video there and they go on for like nine years. And the first time you watch them, there you're like, "This is, oh, this is fucking great!" Like, look at that, the shots are beautiful. And the second time, you're like, "All right, we'll, we'll probably skip it this time." But like, yeah, I thought it was really stylish. I think you're right. For me, that does work. That I, I thought it was really, it was like a really naturalistic style, and mm. I enjoyed it. I find the main guy like distractingly attractive. I have to say, uh, Michael Soka. Yeah, I thought he was magnificent. I actually wrote down Michael Soka equals young Sean Bean. That's all I've written in my notebook. Read into that what you will. It's all true. He's great. He's really charismatic, but he's yeah. really attractive, and I found it almost to the point of distraction. <laughs> I I thought it was really good. I enjoyed it. I thought it was. I thought it was funny. I thought they took something. And I I don't. I know like obviously I know who he is and I know what he's made, but I haven't watched like a, a bunch of his his stuff before. God, I've forgotten his name now. Shane Meadows. Shane Meadows. Sorry. So I haven't watched a bunch of Shane Meadows' stuff before, but I kind of know roughly what to expect. And yeah, I thought it was really funny, and I think it's really accessible, and I think that sometimes you can make historic things inaccessible by making it so stagey, as you said, Hannah. And also, stuff like fucking Downton Abbey, those scripts are all over the place. Like, it's not... It's just... I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Yeah. Okay, so then let's link into Best Interests. Which I've also seen, by the way. Yes, great. Which was written by Jack Thorne, who Jack Thorne and Shane Meadows wrote together the rather excellent... The Virtues, which was on back in May 2019, which I think I... Just destroyed me having to think about it all over again. (laughs) Fucking hell. I've just about recovered, Hannah. Why did you bring it up? I remember it was May 2019 because it was... That was just the best month of telly I think there's ever been in my life. So, regular listeners and you two will know that I am relatively agnostic on Jack Thorne. I think he does some stuff really well, but there's generally some bits of it I don't like. This, I think, is, for me, the best thing he's ever written by a country mile. This I'm almost 100% on board with. There was almost nothing that made me wince a little bit, which things like National Treasure and Kiri did in parts. I was like, well, I don't like that. Let me start with what it's about, because that's probably the easiest way to describe it. Sharon Horgan, who is wonderful in this, and Michael Sheen, who is also very, very good in this, Mm. playing parents of a child. I think she's about 11 or 12. Apologies. 13. Since I watched this. 13. Okay. A 13-year-old child who has a form of muscular dystrophy and is dying. The hospital decide, because Jack Thorne always writes about 
thorny issues, ba-boom, boom. <laughs> the hospital decide that they can't do anything more and want to stop treatment. Michael Sheen, the dad, accepts this. Unhappily, but accepts it. Sharon Horgan, the mum, does not. And ends up in a court case. Now, obviously, there's been some famous court cases about parents. I always find those things really unedifying, is all I'm going to say about it. Because you get, you know, the religious bunch sweep in. You get, like, just loads of people having opinions about this poor child and what should happen to them. And then you also get people saying you should let them go, but they tend to be very angry with the parents. And I think we should try to be a bit more understanding about why the parents are so reluctant to let them go and all of that. So it is an absolute shit show, a real Gordian knot, and he deals with that brilliantly. I have to say, he starts to go down a road a little bit where I'm like, oh, I don't know if I like what's at the end of this road when she sort of teams up with this religious organisation who are basically just using her in order to prove their point and just using the family. And another parent advises her to go for it. And I was a little bit like, oh, God, where is this going? But the truth is, it's it's about grief, isn't it? It's about parents just driven completely demented by grief. And people, some people are prepared to take advantage of that. I thought Sharon Horgan was absolutely just crazy. I mean, she is crazy good. And she's particularly good in this. And she, Jack Thorne is himself part of the disability community. I, I have to say, I don't know how but I know that he is and he uses this to make a really incredible point about how hard it was for families with disabled people in them during lockdown and how on their own they were and it really really humanizes her argument of I got through that we can get through this and you can understand why she's so blinkered to what the doctors are saying I mean obviously it doesn't end well but yeah, I thought it was I thought it was great. Really tricky subject handled really really well. And like I say, Michael Sheen and, and Sharon Hawker, you don't really get better than that in this situation. Jen, what did you make of it? I mean, I don't have much to add other than what you've said. What I I, I thought they did the thing with the um with the religious group quite well because obviously I guess the point I mean it's hard to watch it and not draw comparisons with recent cases. Yeah. So that's that's a bit tricky, but I think that I thought they did quite well, and I think that they showed that yeah, like that exploitation exists even in these like horrendous circumstances. I thought also, and again, I haven't written her name down. I'm afraid. Um, the girl who plays the older daughter, I thought was fantastic, mm. really good, and I thought they did a really really good job of showing like that side of it as well what it is like to be a sibling who is kind of overshadowed by these other events in the family Mm. and um you know like mum and dad never kind of being there for her because of all the stuff they've got to do and she's not a dick about it she accepts it is as it is and, and she's pretty you know she's pretty good about it but what's going on like behind the scenes as it were that that mum and dad don't know about as she's kind of struggling to deal with it so I thought that was really good as well and I thought she's a fantastic actress and look forward to seeing her in more stuff in the future great okay last thing that's connected that I'm going to go to is there she goes which is if you're doing the six degrees of separation (laughs) test it links twice it is both about a family dealing with a disabled child and covers a lot of the same issues you just talked about there, Jen. And also uh, there was a new series of Staged in which Michael Sheen and David Tennant, Sheen was in in Best Interests, 
tenant is in There She Goes, which I've talked about before on this podcast. They did a one-off final episode. In fact, when I interviewed Ben Wilbond, one of the questions I asked him was, why is there no more There She Goes? And he said, oh yeah, I was talking to Sean the other day and there might be. And there is. It's just this one-off episode. It's written by Sean Pye, a comedy writer who's done a lot of good stuff or been involved in a lot of stuff I like, including The Young Doctor's Notebook. And it's based on his own life. Two excellent previous series, one of which won Jessica Stevenson, a BAFTA. Jessica Stevenson and David Tennant are the parents of a young girl, Rosie. She starts off as a baby. We're now up to her being 13. Bits are in flashback, and so it covers quite a wide period. And it's about how they have to get on. She has a rare chromosomal disorder. They don't even know what it is. It's that rare. And it's just about their life. It's brilliant. It's funny, but it's really dark. It's really, really darkly funny. And it's pretty moving. And because it's written by someone who knows what he's talking about, there's a lot of what you just said, Jen. They have an older son who periodically is like, why does she ruin everything? Why Mm. does Rosie ruin everything? Because she'll just smash it up or they'll have to leave a restaurant or whatever because she is the way that she is. I think I could probably do this with spoilers. If you don't want to spoil it, you can fast forward over it. But I know it's the end because of the way it ended. They actually get a diagnosis. And Sean Pye's family have also had a diagnosis now. And and so while it doesn't do anything to help Rosie, particularly, or their situation, it does put them in contact with other families who have exactly the same problems to deal with. And actually, they meet a family at the end of this. They all go off and meet a family who have exactly the same setup that they have. And it ends on a really hopeful, optimistic note. And the lovely thing is that family is played by Sean Pye and his family. Oh. They are in it at the end. So, yeah, it's lovely. Because it's real, because he, he can say it, because that's his life. Their darkest, worst thoughts are articulated throughout this about what it's like to have a disabled child and how they wish sometimes it was different. Why can't we just have a 13-year-old daughter with ordinary problems? Wouldn't that be amazing? Oh. And so it feels very honest. And it, honestly, it's 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 really moving, but it can be very funny at the same time. Jen, what else have you got for us before we go? Oh, my God. Save the best till last, guys. Uh, <laughs> I have been watching. I We were so gutted we couldn't watch a third episode because they're not. we've got to wait for them to happen week by week after we watched the first two. And again, this is after I read a particularly funny review uh, on, on The Guardian uh, by Joel Golby um, about the new Idris Elba offering hijack uh, or Idris on a plane, if you prefer. <laughs> It's it's wonderful. Uh, it, it's just so basically the premise is Idris Elba is a, is <laughs> one of the executive producers and also a very charming man flying business class yeah. from Dubai to London. There's some sort of backstory with his family that is yet to be revealed. He's split up with his wife. He's now in a relationship with, uh, as luck would have it, a policeman um, played by Max Beasley. Oh, he's still about. Is yeah, he? apparently so. Apparently so, because he's he's here. Uh, it's got Ben Miles as the pilot of the uh, of the plane. Uh, Archie Punjabi is another police, but I think she works in counterterrorism. I'm not entirely sure, but she used to go out with Max Beasley. That's all we know, or his character rather. It's all it's all unfolding, but basically. 
Big Driz has gotten on a flight from Dubai back to London and, ah, uh, oh, fuck, it's been hijacked. He seems to pick up on, like, everything that's going on. You have to watch it. We literally howled with laughter. Isn't this a Wesley Snipes? Passenger 57. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I've not seen it, so I can't well, draw. Well done, Mick. <laughs> Ask me more Snipes facts. Go on, shoot them at me. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't know uh, how different they are. I've not watched Passenger Fifty Seven, but I have to say, like, we howled with laughter. It's so funny. It is so funny. I think they must know it's ridiculous. Like, they must. I don't want to take credit for this observation because it is one of the things in the uh, in the Guardian review. But he gets on this flight with absolutely no hand luggage. He's got nothing with him. He's not. He doesn't have a book. He got all he's got is a Gucci bracelet that he's obviously bought for like his wife, who he's got some sort of issue with with his ex-wife that he like occasionally just sort of like rubs and looks at it wistfully. And then he fucking puts it. He gets this Gucci bracelet that is just in a paper bag, right? And he just sticks it in the overhead locker. You're just like, hey, just what are you doing? <laughs> Where's his passport? That doesn't Jen? feel that doesn't feel secure. I'm sure his passport is probably just in his back pocket, isn't it? roughly the size of a passport or back pocket anyway off he pops and we don't know anything about this charismatic enigmatic man all we know is that he gets brought in at the end to fix shit he's a negotiator says his son and what's he up to on this flight he's doing a bit of negotiating lads and it's it's i I don't know how it's going because we're only two episodes in but i am going to tell you it's fucking ridiculous and i love it delightful dog shit do it (laughs) where is it apple again Apple Apple TV, Apple Plus, whatever Apple we're TV, calling it. Apple TV. Apple TV. Maybe it can become Apple Plus because it's screening this gen. It sounds like maybe it gives it an upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> sounds uh, very plus to me, I have to say. The thing about this this review was that it said like literally everything that I've been saying about Big Driz for years. It's like he starts with there's an alternate like reality somewhere where Idris Elba is in good things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i've read that review like, and he said we are like we are experiencing idris elba's worst timeline <laughs> and yet still having a great time yeah i like the way you said he must realize it's ridiculous i mean what makes you think that he continued to make luther up to the point it was nuts it was great to start with though it was great to start with, but this is the the review is like you can't say you can't say the wire to me because that was a long time ago, and you can't say Luther to because that was a long time ago as well. Now, like I am baffled by some of his choices, but look, he's he's bringing home the I Benjamins. Like he's having a lovely time. I haven't I like seen it. I still haven't yeah. seen it. I only watched the first series of it, um, so maybe I didn't like it that much. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was definitely his best work since Stringer Bell. I have to say. Yeah, he does make a lot of pants, but it is all strangely washable, like you say. Well, it sounds like I'm in for a good time when he's in the remake of Blade, if he's just doing Wesley Snipes movies. (laughs) I'm excited about that. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yes. Okay, thanks, lads. (laughs) Anybody got anything else to say? No, I guess we'll do And Just Like That next time, Mick. Oh, Mickey, you've watched And Just Like That. Oh, I've watched one episode of And Just Like That, and... Oh my goodness! I will, I will power through, but I don't know why I'm doing this to myself. I'm already quite sad, and yet here I am, promising myself to watch more episodes of something that is it's dog shit. It's not even delightful dog shit this time no. round, Jen. It's, it's just awful. awful. It's just bad. It's just it feels th- like we're all in an abusive relationship with Sarah Jessica Parker. Absolutely, just <laughs> she is the she is the one good thing about it in the first episode. Like she's great, but oh, oh, 
<laughs> that's my review. Wow. Well, we, I do know you get to see a lot of tits and fanny because you already told Did me Did already tell that. you about that. There was way Hell too much Cynthia Nixon. Yeah. It's like they realised that there wasn't any... There was a lot of sex in the last one. Should we do more sex? Yeah. Cynthia, how do you feel about the sex? Not a problem. Here I am. There was a lot of, oh, sad. Someone's died in the last one. What about boobs and sexy times and trying to work out how to put a strap on on? I don't like that they've made um, Naya. Like, they've obviously gone, oh, well, we fucked Miranda over last series. Uh, so let's, like, let's not be so mean to her this time. Who should we fuck over to offset her being all right? Naya. Let's make her shit this time. Yeah. <sighs> oh, dear. I don't even know who that is. It's okay, Hannah. You don't need to. No, you don't okay. need don't worry to. About it. No. I did try. As you recall, I watched like three episodes of it because because you wanted to at least talk about it having like you know put the work in yeah and it had the worst piece of stand up comedy that I've comedy ever seen thank you very much it's not it's not got any better it's not got any better I'm gonna be honest with you (laughs) she tells Che in the first episode is on stage at like the comedy store in L A they tell what would be a little bit of audience banter and then gets a microphone and goes. And that's all for me. But you can't close with that. That's ridiculous. What is oh, the hang thing on. She says? I think I saw this. I yeah, think I saw this really on Twitter. Bad. I think I saw a picture uh, of her. And There's a lot of, of memes them, of this. Of them. And then the words underneath. That's it. The words I'm looking for is meme. I think I saw a meme of their comedy show. And it was something like, I'm so lazy. I take an Uber to bed or something. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> it's really expensive. Right, that's, right, that's my time. I'm off. That's it. That's the joke. That's the joke. I- I'm glad you've confirmed that. That's. It might as well have said, "Hey, what about aeroplane food?" Because it was. It was <laughs> I'm just, having fond memories about that the stand-up sections joke. of Seinfeld. That's how bad it is. Yeah. Oh my god. It's a weird decision to continue it, and an, an even weirder decision of mine to continue watching it. <laughs> I think but we well, will. Yeah. Mm. We'll watch everything they ever make, and we'll. Not to no, say I've not seen the, the second film, lads. but yeah. Well, Mickey, if you want something that's marginally better than this, I would suggest go watch the really fucking shit second film. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. No. Or go and watch a young Sean Bean. The choice is yours. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for your support at this difficult time. (laughs) Outside the box. 